Hi, it's Bruce Bielanoil here, and you're listening to a podcast where nostalgia comes alive. Yes, it's Jake's Happy Nostalgia Show. <laughs> Roll it! Welcome to Jake's Happy Nostalgia Show, the podcast where nostalgia comes alive. Since July of 2021, Jake and his friends have interviewed professionals in the worlds of acting, directing, writing, puppeteering, and many more. Who will they be chatting with in this week's interview? Find out in this Jake's Happy Nostalgia Show episode. Hey everyone, welcome to this episode of Jake's Happy Nostalgia Show, where nostalgia comes alive. Happy here with us, thank you for joining. As always, I'm your host, Jake Duffenbaugh, me too as always, our co-host, Chris Bixby and Matt Bingle. How you guys doing? Doing good. Doing fantastic. Hello everybody, how you doing? I'm doing great, Matt. Thank you for asking. Wonderful. Who do we have today? Today's guest we have for today, he's a very Muppet performer, voice actor, and performance artist. Uh, a lot of you may know him for performing so many Muppet characters he's done over the years, including Kermit, Rizzo, Lip Speaker, and so many others. And he's also involved in other series that we'll touch base later, including Sesame Street, of course, uh, Frogger Walk, Dinosaurs, and many others. And he's now performed his own character, Walden the IT Guy, for the web series Cave-In. Please welcome... This is Steve Winmeyer. Happy to have you here, Steve. How are you? Hey, thank you, Jake. Good to see you. I'm glad to be here. <laughs> My pleasure. It's great to have it's you here. You guys. Yeah, you got, I was saying earlier, you guys are like old friends. You know, you were, you guys were uh, like part of the stars of Cave In. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Good times. That was good times. It was fun. We had a lot of fun with that. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It was very fun. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm doing a new version of it at the moment. You know, you guys may know with uh, GalaxyCon, with their uh, Comic-Cons. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, yeah. So we just yeah, kind of yeah. moved to yeah. doing less, less, yeah, less actual shows. But uh, we've got one. Well, I don't know when you'll broadcast this. Uh, as of our day of shooting here, we are doing it tonight. But it'll probably be over by the time people see this. <laughs> right. right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So, so uh, what's going to, on? Yeah. Oh, doing great. Doing great. Good. Yes. Good. Yes. Pleasure to have you here. So, uh, so uh, to kick things off, so um, we know who you are, but for those who don't, could you tell our audience a bit about yourself and what you do? Sure. Sure. Um, well, I I'm uh, was one of the Muppet performers for a very, very, very long time, for nearly 40 years, like 37, 38 years. Uh, I started as a puppeteer, you know, amateur sort of stuff. And I was about 10 years old because I was a huge fan of the Muppets. And when I was 19 years old, after just obsessively doing this for so many years, and this was pre-internet. So back in those days, when you were an obsessive fan or something, it was much harder to follow. You know, there was no social media and all that stuff. You just waited for things to show up on the, like in the newspaper saying, tonight there'll be a Muppet special or something on TV, you know, very, very different kind of times. But I was very obsessed by it and, and started building my own puppets. And then when I was 19, I met Carol Spinney, who was Big Bird and Oscar the Grouch. Oh, yes. Um, I, I'm from Atlanta and um, Carol was in Atlanta for a puppetry festival, which they still have these things. And uh, I went only really to meet somebody who worked with the Muppets. You know, I wasn't thinking I would get a job with the Muppets. I just wanted to meet somebody. And a few months later, Carol let me know that um, Jim was looking for new people. And he only wanted a couple of new puppeteers at that moment. And I turned out to be one of them. I was 19 years old and he brought me to London to begin working on the Muppet show. Ah, that's great. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) 
so that's sort of who I am in terms of in terms of puppeteering. Um, you know, these days I'm I'm trying to do some of my own things, which is right more fun and harder. You know, it's a lot more fun, but it's a harder thing to to pull together. Right, yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's a it's a fun challenge, as as we'd say. Yeah, yeah. You know, and I'm mostly doing it for fun. I mean, it was a way for me to to sharpen skills and learn things that, um, you know, formerly with the Muppets, whether they were with Henson or with Disney, uh, there were lots of other talented people to do all those things that I would now do myself, you know, the, the, the videography and, and, and some of the writing and, you know, all the production stuff, building the puppets, you know, building the costumes, the whole nine yards. So, yeah. but I'm lucky enough on cave to, still be working with Jim Lewis, who's a longtime Muppet collaborator. And oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, I love, love Jim, love working with him. And um, he, you know, nobody gets paid on KVN, but Jim is happy to be there and be a part of it. So uh, it, it's a thrill to be able to work with somebody my age, you know, who's been doing this for many, many years like me. And we continue to work together. I'm going to reach just out of shot and grab, I don't know if you can hear my voice. Hang on. Um, I'm drinking tea because... Um, I'm in Columbus, Ohio right now for GalaxyCon Columbus. Right. It's incredibly cold and incredibly dry here. Mm. And we mm. set up for our cave-in show last night until 10, 30, 11 o'clock, which is a long day because I'm like doing all the physical stuff too. And, uh, uh, you know, you skip dinner and you talk a lot and you have, you have no access to actual drinking water. So I'm <laughs> like, eh, this morning. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. <laughs> no worries. No worries. No worries at all. <clears throat> so now, uh, how did you begin working with the Muppets? Well, it, as I say, I met Carol Spinney. That was really the, the catalyst for it. But it was after nine or ten years of, of just following everything that I could follow that they were working on. And then they would do, a, they would do these specials, these Muppetland specials uh, back in the 70s and things like that. One of them was called... Hey Cinderella, and then the Muppet Musicians of Bremen and, and the Frog Prince. And as soon as I would see those shows, I would get obsessed without really thinking about it as a teenager. I was really interested in the characters, sure, but, but in how they did things and uh, building, trying to build my own replicas of those characters like Kermit and Robin, and you know, all those characters. I got obsessed with, uh, Jim did this character in the Frog Prince, I've forgotten the character's name, but he was the king. And he's this big sort of costume puppet, half puppet, half costume character um, that I later learned was often called the Southern King because he spoke with a real Southern accent like that, you know? And so, you know, Jim did this great character and I tried to build that and it was, you know, a lot of my puppets that I built were terrible, but it was just the, the idea of, of trying to do what somebody else was already doing in the real world. You know, I, I found out later that a lot of writers uh, who, who are authors of books will do this exercise where they take a book and an author's work that they're really interested in and they will sit down and they will type it out and they will actually like write the book themselves to get a feel of what the author must have been going through. And in a, in a subconscious sort of way, I think I was doing that with Jim's work, thinking about what they must be doing to have reached the production decisions that they reached and all that stuff. Of course, all of that paid off in the end when I eventually started working with Jim, you know, um, on the Muppet Show. Originally, I was going to work on Sesame Street, and instead, Jim brought me in to, uh, to the Muppet Show instead, which was great for me, 
because <clears throat> that's where he's most of his focus was at that time. So great place for me to learn. Definitely. Yeah. Absolutely. So speaking of the Muppet Show, I'm curious, did you have any favorite celebrities to work with on that? Uh, yeah, and it's hard to hard to pick favorites because I was so new at it and it was just really cool to be working with any of those people. You know, we had a different guest star every week. I did about half of the Muppet shows. I came in about halfway through the 120 episodes in the middle of the third season. And my first one was Alice Cooper, um, which was great. I was I was a 19 year old who was a rock and rock music fan. Uh, thus, you know, the hair, it never went away. And uh, I was playing in all of these um, garage bands in high school and stuff. And we did Alice Cooper's music at the time, you know, so uh, to meet Alice was great. And he he was very kind to me at the time. You know, I was the certainly the low person on the totem pole and my work on the show was minimal. I would assist people with things. I was just barely starting. And uh, but he but he was very nice to me and, and it made a big impression. And then I have run into him since then at some of the Comic Cons. You know, we have, have caught up on that. Um, you know, so many, I mean, the people from the golden age of Hollywood that a lot of people might not even know now, like Roy Rogers and Dale Evans and Bob Hope and Danny Kaye and those people that I, that, that were really even almost before my time, before I was born, you know, in a way, in a funny way. Um, but I mean, the list goes on forever. So many great people. <laughs> Absolutely. Oh, yeah. So through your work on The Muppet Show, you got some of your own characters, as Jake mentioned, Rizzo the Rat and Lips. How did they come about? Um, well, Rizzo was a um, just an accident. You know, Jim would have us get on the show with background characters. And in particular, in the scenes in the backstage, you know, where it was all populated with all these characters in the background doing nothing that was scripted. And... Um, I just found an old rat puppet that they had used for some other production at some point and um, had it pop up in the back of the shot and move up next to Kermit at the desk and just upstage, you know, Jim wanted us to try to draw the attention and learn how to do that. He didn't mind if we took the attention away from Kermit and the main characters, it was fine. So Rizzo was there, he was reading over Kermit's shoulder and he was listening to Kermit and thinking about it and then nodding yes or no, or, you know, Fozzie would come in and he'd look at Fozzie and he would react and, no, no, no lines at all, you know. And at the end of the scene, Jim just, the minute they said cut, he broke up laughing and he, I'm standing right next to him. And he turned and said, where did you get that? It's a terrible puppet. Where did you find the, where'd you get that? He thought I made it, I think. It was an old rotten puppet, you know, starting to fall apart. And I told him, I said, well, I found it in a box of puppets. It's it's one of your characters, you know. He said, oh, well, we're gonna, we're gonna make that rat a star. We're gonna do more with it and, and, you know, Frank was instrumental in, in naming him Rizzo, actually. It was Frank Oz uh, after the Midnight Cowboy character from that film, which was popular at the time. So Rizzo just slowly, for, year, for years, he just kept doing exactly that. Mostly on the Muppet Show, he would pop up and be a, a, a thing in the bottom of the frame that nobody was meant to particularly pay attention to, but people did. And the first time he was ever really spoken to was Christopher Reeve, uh, who was Superman at the time. Um, turned in the middle of a scene. I don't remember what the scene was. He was off to do some Superman related thing. And he turned and he said, Rizzo, or I think he called him Super Rat, you're in charge. And, and Rizzo, you know, did a proud stance. And that was the end of the scene. That was just an ad lib that um, Chris did, you know. And again, one of the coolest things for me was to um, 
to work with so many celebrities on The Muppet Show that it has sort of come full circle over the years. And later, much later in my career, I ran into those people again in some particular scenario, like Chris Reeve, many, many years later, came on Sesame Street. And without right. knowing that we had worked together before, he asked if he could work with Ernie. Well, he, he didn't know that I was doing Ernie at the time. So we had this, this kind of little reunion where we spoke about the Muppet Show days and we got to work together again in a different way. So those kind of moments are really very cool <laughs> to do that. Absolutely. And how did uh, yeah. Lips, how did Lips come about? Well, Lips was a, was a, Jim was always trying to find, you know, funny thing about the Muppets. At a certain point, you had Jim, Frank Oz, Jerry Nelson, Dave Goals, Richard Hunt, and then Kathy Mullen came along about the time I did. Louise Gold was there. Mm -hmm. And then I was there. And, and Jim was always trying to find ways for those of us who were new in the company, but it was kind of obvious we were going to be around for a while, to integrate new characters in. But it was hard because there were already so many main characters that at a certain point you're saturated with characters and you can't really service all those characters in an episode. It's just too much to do. So when you've got Kermit, Fozzie, Rizzo's, I mean, before Rizzo, Kermit, Fozzie, Gonzo, you know, Piggy, Scooter, and you go right down that line, he was trying to find a way for me to have more to do. And a natural thing to try was to bring me into the electric mayhem with a character. So they, you know, looked for a character and an, and an instrument he could play that would complement the electric mayhem. And I think Lips was created because of that. Um, and, you know, they had a saxophone, so they decided to add another horn, you know, and right. and I think they kind of designed him at the time I had the curly blonde hair and, you know, he wasn't really meant to be me, but they kind of went off the blonde hair mm. and um, that was Lips, you know, and, and the rest was left up to me. And I think it took me, I was probably really getting comfortable with Lips because he was used on again, off again. Uh, especially after Jim passed away, you know, Lips was kind of like, oh, well, we, he wasn't really a part of the electric mayhem. So we're not going to really put him in anything. And he didn't show up very much. And that was always frustrating to me because I wanted to do more with the character. So later in the later years, by the time we were doing things like the the last two films that I worked on and the, the ABC Muppets last special, I was loving Lips and I was really ready to do the character. Um, and we used him a little bit more. Uh, I would love to have done a lot more with that character. I think it would have been a lot of fun. Of course, definitely. I'm sure, I'm sure. So aside from The Muppet Show, you also got to puppeteer in the original Muppet movies as well. Rosa and I, we're going way, way back. Yeah. Muppet movie, Great Muppet Keeper, Muppets Take Manhattan, the trilogy, as, as we'd yeah. say, without it being a trilogy. Yeah. Could you share any memories from any of those movies? Well, the original Muppet movie, um, I had only been with the company for about two months. I worked on like a month and a half of Muppet Show episodes, maybe five or six. And Jim came to me at the end of that time. You know, I, that was kind of like a trial basis as far as I was concerned. I didn't know whether I would go on with the Muppets or not. And, you know, Jim's busy. He doesn't have time to come to you every day and say, you did a really great job. It's really nice to have you here. You know, you just, you know, you did your work. And if nobody <laughs> said said uh, that was terrible, then you knew you were doing all right. Um, and so at the near the end of that time, uh, Jim, the Jim Frawley, who directed that film, came to London where we were shooting The Muppet Show and was having meetings. They were talking down, you know, the shooting and all that stuff. And Jim had me go out on location with, on a weekend, him and Frank and um, 
Jim Frawley. And it was to shoot a little test film on Super 8 film that Jim Frawley was going to shoot. And they put me in Sweetums for whatever reason, I guess, let Richard have the, you know, Richard was working hard, let him have the weekend off. All Sweetums going to do is run around in a field. Uh, so I was in Sweetums. And so I got to be a part of that, which was fun. And then he approached me, I don't know, within a week or so and said, hey, you know, I want to bring you out for the film to work on the film. And uh, I was, of course, thrilled. So next step was I went home for a couple of weeks or three weeks or four weeks, got married during that time. <laughs> and uh, and we went off to uh, Los Angeles to do uh, the Muppet movie. Uh, the funny part of that for me personally was that my wife and I were so young that, I mean, we were like 19 and 20. We were very young. And we were too young to actually be of legal age in California. At that point, it was 21. So we were too young to rent an apartment. <laughs> oh. uh, so we like got stuck in a hotel for a while. And it was, you know, that, fortunately, it was being paid for, but it was very expensive. Everybody was taking apartments. And we had to get the, and we were not wild and crazy party people. So we were going to be okay. But, but it, the funny part was they didn't want you in a hotel because, you know, you might be badly influenced by, you know, older people who were, you know, whatever they were doing. Uh, we were just too young. So the production had to take the, uh, take the, uh, the uh, apartment in their name and we were allowed to stay there, you know? <laughs> which is very strange. But working with film was terrific. I mean, I did anything and everything they asked me to do, uh, which was a lot because there were only a handful of us who were there, <clears throat> really me, Kathy Mullen, <clears throat> and then they bring in other folks as they needed them. But Kathy and I were the two main sort of, um, you know, I don't know what the word is, but sort of background puppeteers. We did everything that there was nobody else to do. Like when, and I ended up when Frank was doing Piggy, I would usually do Fozzie for the film. I did Fozzie a lot, um, which is quite a lot of trust. I mean, I've only been there for a couple of months and um, I did a lot of Fozzie scenes that Frank of course would dub, I, you know, didn't do the voice. Yeah. But just to let me, you know, manipulate it. Um, there's a scene where they're all sitting in the um, <clears throat> screening room as the film. I think it's when the film is starting. And I was doing, for whatever reason, I was doing Sam Eagle. And um, randomly, a paper airplane flies through the shot and hits Sam. And, um, you know, I did what I thought Sam would do. I mean, Sam, all Sam did was just go oh, and brush it off very right, subtly. Yeah. And afterwards, right. Frank, Frank came to me and... He said, I just have to tell you, you did exactly the right thing with Sam. If you had done anything more than that, it would have been an overreaction. It would have been out of character. It would have been terrible, but you did the right thing. So, you know, I was like being, I was thrilled that I did the right thing, you know, uh, at 19 years old or whatever. But, but it was that kind of stuff, you know. Uh, that was most of my time on that movie. And then I stayed in Los Angeles for a couple of months, I think, after... Jim and Frank and all the main guys went back to uh, London to, to start because Muppet Show overlapped. So they had to go do the Muppet Show. And I stayed there, I guess, for a couple of weeks into the Muppet Show. Kathy and I were there. Um, and I think Dave might have stayed for part of that time to shoot pickup shots like, you know, B unit stuff. And um, yeah, I did Fozzie a little bit for that. I think I did Kermit a couple of times, but it was all like wide shots where, you know, you right, were yeah. scrutinizing the performance. Um, but the best thing about that time was, and, and all through those years, Jim allowed me to, nobody cared in those days. You know, there was no social media, nothing was going to get released anyplace, you know, publicly. So I shot home movies like crazy. I had a Super 8 camera and Jim just encouraged me to be on set 
and just shoot all the behind the scenes. And they weren't really doing that officially. So I've got all this incredible footage uh, that, uh, I mean, incredible in the sense that I'm, you know, an amateur shooting video, but you know what I mean? At least somebody shot it. Yeah. yeah. Of, of the Muppet movie and the Muppet show and all kinds of things all through those three films. Um, and it looks like maybe a few pieces of that are going to be included in the a new Jim Henson documentary. Um, oh, that's nice. been, being done by, yeah, I don't know whether you guys know about it. You must. Ron Howard's company is doing a, a Jim Henson documentary. So it's um, real, a real, I, I expect it to be a very objective documentary because it's not being produced by, you know, the family or, or Disney. It's, it's being done by an outside group, which I think is great. It gives us a look at Jim, you know, that, that should be fairly factual. And, but they, they've asked me to, to use, it'll be a little tiny stuff, but it'll be a few clips. So that's kind of, that's the kind of thing I'd like to see it used for. Nice. Yeah, yeah that's, that's great. For that. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited about that. Absolutely. And several years later, you also got to uh, puppeteer in a Muppet Family Christmas. What was that like? Well, that was it was amazing because, as as most of you probably know, it was um, the bringing together of all the various Muppet franchises, which Jim owned all of those at the time. You know, Fraggle, Sesame Street. Um, you know, the, obviously all the Muppets. And so he could do that. He could bring his characters into one show uh, for Christmas. And there are many reasons why it was fun. It was, it was a real reunion of all of these different performers behind the scenes. We didn't always get to see each other, especially with Carol Spinney, because Carol is the person who was responsible for bringing me into the Muppets. And yet Carol and I barely worked together over the years until very, very late, you know, once I was on Sesame Street after Jim passed away. So during those years, I got to do a scene in that show with Carol doing Oscar and me doing Rizzo. And it was Riz it's Rizzo outside of Oscar's trash can. So something you'd never have happened. Yeah. Mm -hmm. We got to do this little moment together where Oscar's kind of happy about having, oh, it might be kind of good to have a rat living in my trash can. Um, so it was just the fact that we got to work together. It was great and very cool. Um, you know, of course, I love that scene at the end with Sprocket and uh, Jim. Oh, yeah. Ah, uh, yes. Yes. Uh, a, a really, you know, kind of special moment. Yeah, uh, all those kinds of shows meant a lot to us. You know, we were, it was a very family oriented company, you know, in so many ways. I mean, all the way to the joy of being together. And, you know, there were still people would, you know, you know, people would not always get along, which was fine because it's a family thing. But, but underneath it all, everybody cared very much about each other. <clears throat> and we all cared about the group, which is very much what the dynamic of the Muppets was at that point in time anyway. And when we did, you know, we did, I don't know, like 1100 Christmas specials. <laughs> we, did, <laughs> we did a lot of Christmas stuff, but um, it, that was, there was always a sense of heart in those about the, you know, with the Muppets, yeah. uh, especially in those days when Jim was around. So very, very special stuff. Definitely. Yes. And seeing all those you know, from Muppets, Sesame, and Frog and Walk all come together. It, oh, yeah. It's just so yeah. wonderful. That's yeah. like a once-in-a-lifetime thing, you know, Jim. Yeah. It, it is, because it, it those yeah, characters. That'll and never now, happen again. It's very hard to do that now. Yeah, know, right, because, you know, Disney and all that, yeah. yeah That'll it, probably never happen again. <laughs> it probably won't happen. It's a funny thing, you know, after Jim passed away, we had Kermit still doing Sesame Street for a, for a year or two. And I and my understanding was that Disney was okay with that, even though they owned Kermit. And then 
you know, there was, I, I'm not even sure the Hensons had sold the Sesame Correct characters to Sesame Workshop yet, but they kind of, they were kind of okay with Kermit being on the show because he had crossed over. And, and my thought on it was, well, all it does is give Kermit exposure. So you guys should be happy with that. So, um, but there was a certain point and what got sticky on it, if I remember correctly, was that all of a sudden Sesame was doing their own DVDs. So suddenly you've got a product out there in the marketplace where Kermit would be included, but they don't own Kermit to sell the, you know, I mean, make money off of it in that way. Yeah, right. And I think yeah. that got sticky. And so they said, well, you know, I don't think anybody was angry with each other. I think it was just a matter of Disney really didn't want to license their character for Sesame Street to sell and make money with. You know, kind of makes sense. Right. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. so for that, those yeah. characters to come together these days like that would be probably never going to happen. Uh, and, but I should say there was one other time when they all came together and that was, and I believe it was 1987 when Jim was inducted into the Television Hall of Fame. Oh, um, yeah, yeah. Yeah, right. Was, uh, talk about an amazing experience. I, let me tell you about that show a little bit because, again, it's, you know, I've been there for a, a few years now, but I'm still kind of the junior puppeteer of being a part of the core group. So I show up and my responsibility is always limited. I don't have a lot of dialogue or things like that to do, uh, but we're, well, two things. One, one thing we're rehearsing that afternoon and Jim was a little bit uncomfortable with playing Kermit, saying all these wonderful things about himself. Uh, he had to really separate himself. He did it, but he thought it, he just thought it, he just kind of was very humble about that sort of thing. So Kermit saying how great Jim was, was really weird for him. Um, but I had my big clunky uh, VHS video camera with me as always. And I'm shooting all this behind the scenes of all of our work. And while we're working, I, I can't remember what character I was doing, but I was next to Jim and I put the puppet during the rehearsal on my left hand. So Jim's over here and um, he's standing next to me. I'm holding my camera with my right hand like this shooting up at us. So I've got all of this VHS video of Jim working. And the reason that became important is because it was the most useful um, piece of material for me when it came time for me to begin to try to perform Kermit um, because I was seeing Jim and the, his facial expressions as he was performing Kermit and the, the significance of that is that he had a certain face that he would just kind of instinctively make while he was performing Kermit and it's funny thing because it brought back so much of the parts of Jim that he had put into Kermit and that allowed me to, to zero in a lot more on the character and the memories of the parts of Jim that went into Kermit and the parts of Jim that really didn't go into Kermit. You know, it, it varied. Um, but it, it really let me know that if I had not known Jim and worked alongside Jim, it would have been pretty much impossible to, to step into that role, you know. But yeah. the, other cool, the other cool part of that Hall of Fame show was that I, at the time, JVC, I think it was, it come out with this camera that's got this cassette, huge, huge video cameras, you know, with a big cassette in it. And on the side, it said um, Video Reporter, which was the, the, the brand name of the cameras, but it made it look like you were the press. So I got, so they, I was able to, to go into the green room and shoot all this stuff. And I've got Lucille Ball and Jimmy Stewart and all these Hollywood legends who are there Um just hanging around, milling around, talking to each other. And and I've got all this footage, you know, uh, of the, all these great big stars, you know, that, and nobody said, hey, you can't, you can't get out of here. You can't have that camera in here, you know? <laughs> <laughs>
that's great. So I, can't, I can't use it for anything because you know you'd have to get permission but i have it <laughs> right right yeah. right. <laughs> yes so in 1990 you inherited the wolf kermit the frog from jim jim henson and you know how they kind of like you know come about especially you know you you know especially you work for jim and he was kind of like you know a friend and mentor to you and you know yeah. and kind of how that kind of like you know for you to take over this legacy character that was from you know jim henson yeah well it was um it was really hard to do as you might imagine you know um, because I knew Jim and had worked with him for a dozen years or so, <clears throat> it was um, <clears throat> really important to me to keep the character faithful to who he was. <clears throat> and that, that, that was the most important thing to me. Um, from the puppeteering standpoint, you know, I've been doing puppeteering for a long time at that point, And I worked alongside Jim and I had put on Kermit once or twice. I mean, I never, nobody ever did anybody else's characters per se, unless you were standing in. But I understood a little bit about what Jim was doing inside of Kermit's head <clears throat> to get the expressions and very different than the other characters where we're just doing this. My hand was kind of like, your hand's kind of like this inside of Kermit, you know? And, and um, if he were any heavier or more awkward to perform, you, your hand would just cramp all the time, it would kill you. Um, so, you know, that part was not all that hard to figure out. It, it, but it doesn't do any good to be able to puppeteer a character and, and manipulate a character if you don't know why that character does the things the character does. Uh, and that's all that's all character. Um, and that all came directly from Jim. It, it, it was based on who he was. And as I said before, you know, if I hadn't known him, I, it would have been impossible. You know, I couldn't have watched his work on YouTube and said, okay, well, that's sort of what he sounded like now. Now I know what to, I couldn't have done that. It's impossible. Um, so much would have been missing. So it was hard. And, and mostly everybody from, you know, Brian and the other puppeteers, they were very respectful of understanding how hard that process was. So really, I didn't get a lot of notes from people, um, you know, in terms of, no, that, you know, you really should do this, you really should do that. Um, Brian was concerned about the voice um, because we were also hearing Jim's voice in our heads. And so, we tried some electronic things in that first show where Kermit pops in at the end, the tribute show. They yes. put some sort of an electronic filter on my voice, which honestly, I think it made it worse than it, <laughs> more shocking than it would have been if they just used my voice, you know. But it, but still, maybe it acted as a transition time because my voice was never exactly Jim's. But once I felt comfortable with Jim remembering how he worked, his mannerisms, uh, I think the voice became secondary to that and it was close enough, you know, it was in the ballpark. I tended to find that my voice for Kermit was better <clears throat> on those mornings like, like this when I would wake up and I almost didn't have a voice because my voice was a little deeper than usual. And yeah. uh, I think I sounded a little bit more like Jim, but anyway, but, but the voice is so secondary to the character. You know, Frank has said that and I, I know that to be too. The voice, it's, it's really about Jim's influence on the character and on the Muppets as a whole, you know, which dare I say, I, I think it's missing a little bit these days. Jim, Jim's influence on the Muppets has kind of slipped away just a bit. There's, there's almost no one left there who really knew and worked with Jim, except Dave, really. And Dave, yeah. Dave, Dave is, um, Dave's still know, going Dave, strong. Yeah. 
he's going strong. But he's also doing less and less. You know, he's 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 got a family and he wants to spend time with his family and he's getting on up there and and you know he does less and less. And when and and I don't know what the situation is. I know what it was when I was there, but I suspect he sort of enjoys being around the other performers, enjoys the people, enjoys the work, and probably doesn't get you know very involved in the day to day. So that's why I say I think I think Jim's influence has kind of left a little bit. Yeah. Uh, a shame, but mm-hmm. we've got the old stuff to see Jim's influence. So there you go. Of course. <laughs> right. Of course. Yeah. Of course. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yes. And, you know, I got to imagine the Muppets celebrate Jim Henson. It's it's such a wonderful, wonderful, like, you know, tribute about, you know, because I remember yeah. Yeah. the last part where basically all, all, all of them are singing, well, people. Just, yeah, just for you. And then, and then yeah. Kermit yeah. is just, just, just listening to them. Yeah, like, it's, oh that's gosh. a beautiful song. And every time we ever sung it, we would like start to tear up, you know? <laughs> Imagine it's right. Really, yeah. It's one thing to watch it. It's another thing to try to get through it when you're singing it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I remember the first time I had to sing uh, Rainbow Connection after Jim had died. I, I almost couldn't get through it. Gosh. It was a nightmare because it was some, I don't remember what the performance was, but a live thing. I'm singing live, it's not pre recorded. And, um, you know, all of a sudden I'm, I'm in front of a huge audience. Of course, I can't see them and they can't see me. But the minute I started singing it, they just erupted in cheering and applause. And I, <laughs> I thought, oh, God, because I'm really in the long run. I'm one of those people, you know, uh, I, I'm a person who sat out there and watched it all those years. Yeah. And I just thought, OK, Steve, get it together. You can't get emotional when you're the one doing the song. <laughs> you know, you gotta right. <laughs> Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. So your first uh, feature film and kind of your first uh, major project with Kermit was on uh, the Muppet Christmas Carol. What was it like working on that movie? Well, it was um, it was interesting to, to the transition between me having worked on all these other films, doing fairly minor characters and filling in for people and then suddenly doing what was kind of a one of the lead roles as such an important character. Um, But again, I had enormous support. You know, we still had all of the standard crew of puppeteers there. Um, You know, Frank was extremely supportive and extremely helpful. And one of the things I found early on um, is that when Frank would perform Piggy or Fozzie alongside Kermit, when I was doing Kermit, I don't know, it was the strangest thing after watching so many years of their work together, Jim and Frank, I sort of instinctively, it was like I was channeling what Jim would do in a way. You know, I I, I felt by, by, by Fo- whatever Fozzie did, I knew how Kermit would react to that. And whatever Piggy did, I, I knew what he would do, you know, and it sort of, I was able to rely on that. And it was the same within that film, you know, Uh, it's always such an ensemble effort. You know, you play just like any other actors, you play off of your co-stars. And if you don't have people who are giving you their performance, then you can't do it. So I was fortunate enough to go through that transitional period with Frank and Jerry and Richard and Dave and those guys, you know. And then, of course, we had a hundred other puppeteers on that film, all of whom I know from years of work. Um, So it was a very supportive team. And Brian was directing and he was great. And, and um, Michael Caine was amazing uh, to work with, you know, just a consummate, amazing actor who um, 
you know, I, I mean, you don't get that big an opportunity in your life to work with people like that very often. You know, it's like Tim Curry. It's the same sort of thing. Right. Um, yes. You know, so it was, a, it was a great experience uh, and, and stressful to a degree because it was very important to me to get it right. But, but really not, you know, really just it was the opportunity to really become Kermit in a funny sort of way. So by the time we were doing the, you know, post-production PR stuff, because we did tons of it, it's all improvised. And, uh, you know, Jerry Nelson gave me a great compliment. We were doing uh, all these, they do these satellite media tours, which is basically like what we're doing now, where you go out to a hundred different news stations all over the world from one location. And it was Kermit and Robin. And we did a couple of those and Jerry turned and said, you know, you've really got this character now. You, you really, it feels like I'm working with Jim. And it was just uh, best feeling, uh, best feeling. Anyway. <laughs> uh, it's beautiful. So you eventually also took on the roles of Beaker and Statler. What was yeah. it like performing them? Well, it was a good feeling. Um, I, I think I was doing Beaker right after Richard passed away. Um, and that was really, I think, the result of Dave having said to whoever was handling casting, Brian being one of them, that he thought it would be good if we worked together because we worked together on so many other pairings of characters, you know, Gonzo Rizzo, um, you know, Wimbley and Boober. Um, and so, you know, and, and I, I, I had been around Richard when he was doing Beaker. I can't say that I had a real handle on where Beaker came from, from within Richard, but I've been around it and I knew how he made the sound and, right. you know, mostly R Beaker was, Beaker and Bunsen fell into a category of characters like the Swedish chef for me, which I call like three frame cartoon characters. They were kind of created to come on the show, do what they do, and then they were done. And I always found that when we overused them, I felt like they were less interesting. Um, when we would try to make them major sort of, have major roles in a situation or in a film or something, I felt like it was almost too much sometimes. You know, they were better when they did what you wanted them to do and then you went on to the next thing, you know. Um, and so, but I tried to expand bigger a little bit and we we did a thing called Flowers on the Wall, which is a, in the later years with Beaker. Uh, if you haven't seen it, it's probably out there on the internet on YouTube someplace. A song called Flowers on the Wall, which is an old uh, song done by the Statler brothers many, many years ago. But to me, it was Beaker when he's at home at night by himself, who I thought he was. And uh, it's, the, it's the deepest dive we ever did into Beaker's character for me. Uh, so I always was looking for ways to evolve the characters, but not lose what they were based on by the original performer. Right. Uh, and the Statler was a similar thing. By then, I mean, Statler and Waldorf got passed around a lot. And I just, I really pleaded with Disney to can we can we cast these characters once and for all? Can we let a performer, whoever it might be, sink their teeth into these characters, uh, which is how David Rudman became so many of Richard's characters, oh, yeah. and um, at that time how Matt became uh, Floyd and uh, Robin. You know, um, I, I really really pushed for that, and so that was a good thing. Um, I think it was a good thing for them to settle into specific characters and. Jerry got to play a role in finding who was going to take his take on his characters, you know, just like Jim had a had a mention of me doing Kermit at some point. Uh, so that was all important to me. And for that reason, you know, a lot of people talk about Jim Henson's legacy. And I understand what that means. 
to me, it always tended to be focused on the body of work that he left us when he died. He has this legacy that, that he did in his life. Hmm. But I was always more interested in what I felt was his living legacy, which to me is the present day Muppets. And if it doesn't reflect Jim, I feel like it's not a terrible legacy. And to me, I think my experience is that Jim viewed the Muppets as, if, it, and if this makes sense to you, as a lineage, you know, like, like a lineage tradition. Any, anything you learn to do, uh, whether it's martial arts or, or playing the piano or, you know, painting, it, you can follow in a lineage. You know, you can, you can look at the people who did this before you did it and you can learn from those people and you might even copy their work and mimic their work in order to, to let it continue. And that's how you, I think that's how you get good at stuff. Now you can be good at stuff if you just do your own thing and you never pay attention to history. But I think all those things can help. And I think in Jim's case, he was looking for this to be passed along in a line, in a lineage. Um, and so that was important to me to try to make that happen with Jerry's characters and with Richard's because Richard knew David Rudman quite well. And Jerry said, yeah, I think that he's the right guy to do Richard's characters. So, you know, th having that influence of the originators passing it down, I think is, is vital to the character staying who the characters are. Definitely. Absolutely. So uh, what was it like to uh, work on Muppet Treasure Island? Uh, it was another, you know, another story where we were taking a classic story and casting the characters, which you can do endlessly. You can take any classic story and you can say, oh, Kermit should be this character and Chef should be. It, it's so much fun. I think it was smart after that for Brian to choose for us probably not to keep doing classic stories because you kind of fall into a rut. Uh, whether whether you like Muppets from Space or not, I, uh, you know, I think there were some good things in it. And I know some people don't care for it, but still, I think it was smart to do a real Muppet story instead of a instead of another classic story. Yeah, I love Muppets from Space. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I think yeah, the best part of Treasure film. Island for me is um, so many things. But Kermit plays an unexpected role where he's supposed to be the uh, you know the ship captain Smollett, and he's and he's like the last guy in the world who could actually you think he's the last guy in the world who could actually command a ship full of people. Sure. But my whole my yeah. thought, my thought process throughout the whole film was I was because it was very popular at the time was Star Trek Next Generation. I was thinking Patrick Stewart the whole time. Um, for me, I was playing him as, uh, you know, Jean-Luc Picard, um, you know, trying to get, capture a little bit of that, if you know that show at all. But um, anyway, so he was the ship's captain, you know, and it was great fun. And I, and I loved working with Tim Curry, um, who another, you know, run into Tim once in a while through these, through uh, Comic-Cons, you know, I get to see him. Uh, which is great. And he's doing quite well. Uh, he had, you know, some medical issues, but he's actually yeah. doing very, very well. We may be looking to try in the near future, and I don't know where yet. I'd like to do it at a GalaxyCon, um, but it could be anywhere, to do a, a Muppet Treasure Island screening where you can come to the screening and Tim and I would be there talking about the film. Um, uh, but watch, watch our various Instagrams, you know, to see when that happens, because I wouldn't be surprised if it happens next year uh someplace in 2024 um, oh, we, did, we did one last year of, of christmas carol uh, exactly oh, a year yeah. ago in columbus mm -hmm. and um it was so much fun and uh we had a surprise guest frank oz popped in uh he, did, he wasn't there live but he was there virtually 
and, and stay with us for about 10 minutes before the screening. And so what we do is we would watch the film and we would pause and we'd talk about the scene that we just saw and we people would ask questions and then we'd watch more, you know. So it's a great fun thing to do. Absolutely. So uh, in 2011, you did the movie with uh, Jason Siegel and Amy Adams. What, what was it like kind of getting to uh, kind of bring back the Muppets in another major film yeah. like that? Well, it was a it was a funny time. You know, I we had been, frankly, through a lot of things with all the various Disney stuff going on where we felt like the Muppets were not necessarily always true to who they were. And, and it, it had been very, I was kind of leading the charge on that. And nobody was yelling at each other. I mean, it was a lot of, just a lot of intense discussion about, you know, I would always try to say, um, I see what, you're, see what you're doing here. I think it's funny. Um, it's not quite in character for Kermit or it's not quite in character for the group dynamic of the Muppets. And, and I wouldn't just leave it at that. I wouldn't just criticize and say, so, you know, your stuff is terrible. I would say, I would say, here's here's some suggestions on how we can do exactly what you're trying to get across that might be more in character. And sometimes, you know, producers would go for it and directors, and sometimes they would say, Well, no, this is my film and it's my vision, and you know, I don't care. So, or whatever, you know, they, they wouldn't do it. Um, so there was some difficulty behind the scenes on that film with things that I certainly felt like were not in character. At the end of the day, I enjoyed working on the film. I enjoyed working with the director, James Bowman. He's a terrific guy, a real Muppet fan. Um, and it was a great crew and a great team of people. And we were all there. We we're all trying to get through it. But it was like, you know, imagine being in a situation where you've done something for a really long time and you've done these characters forever and you know who they are. And you get and a script comes out and you read something and you say, oh, he wouldn't say it like that, you know, he would say it like this, or that's that's not reflective of who he is or who they all are. And it, it's like a little buzzer goes off in your mind, you know, like a little red flag, and, and you can't avoid it. You can't not bring it up, you know, you have to say, uh, this, this thing right here, you know, it's, it's not really who this character is. And it can be frustrating to know the characters so well. And yet, you know, you're, you're charged with the responsibility, but not the authority to make the decisions. So we would try to do it gently. Um, and the funny, but at the end of the day, I mean, I, I look at it now and I laugh at it and all of that's behind me, you know, in a, in a huge way. I think there are many, many little details we could have done that would have been more in character. However, I still think it's a good film and, and it was successful in kind of bringing the Muppets back. I, I loved oh, yeah. Jason. Amy was terrific. You know, we got to work with great people. I didn't really get to know Jason until we did the PR on the film uh, because yeah. most of his scenes were with Walter and other, other things. But we didn't work together a lot on the film, uh, so we never got to know each other. And when we um, did the, all the travel, we traveled all over the world to promote this thing. I mean, Germany and, and, and Brazil and, you know, all these places, Mexico yeah. City. So it was just Jason and Kerman in a room doing interviews. It was like this. And Jason and I really got to know each other. When you sit, when you sit in the sit next to somebody with your arm in the air all day long and you're improvising interview after interview after interview after interview, yeah. you get to know this person. And we had a lot right. of fun. Um, so anyway, that was that was another time and really enjoyed it. Um, yeah. The same, and, and then the next film, we were working with uh, the same director, James Bobin. And I felt like of the two, 
I thought Muppets Most Wanted was a really good film from my point of view. Um, I loved the way Kermit was used in the film. Um, you know, I, I I thought the whole dynamic with um, Constantine and and you know Ricky Gervais was great, and it was and it was a true Muppet story to me. The other one felt like the Muppets were making fun of the Muppets a little bit, uh, you know, making fun of all the things they'd done in the past, like it wasn't serious to them. Uh, that one to me, they were just they were on a they were on a journey, you know, and I I was I loved it, I loved that one. Definitely. So I'm sure all uh, Muppet fans are wondering, can we hear a little bit of uh, Kermit and Rizzo? Well, I suppose so. I don't often do the voices these days. I, and by the way, it might you might listen to this and say, oh, my God, I see why they got rid of him. <laughs> but uh, no, actually, Kermit is kind of there this morning. He's, um, you know, he's sort of with me, uh, you know, so I, I guess I might not. Uh, this is not who Kermit sounds like anymore. But, uh, you know, it was uh, for many, many years. I, I was this. Uh, and, you know, his Rizzo. Rizzo was Rizzo. I, I'm still the same guy. I might have uh, transferred my karma into this new guy called Weldon a little bit. Uh, you know, it's not the same voice, but uh, kind of the you know, same guy, only more harsh than I would ever be. I would never be. <laughs> <laughs> I just, I think I just did Rizzo as Donald Trump in a funny sort of way. I would never, never be. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> oh, man. I could kind of see that a little bit now that you yeah. mentioned it. <laughs> I, exactly. <laughs> Yes. I could have really good. Um, yeah. <laughs> oh, so moving on from the Muppets briefly, you originated uh, Wembley and Sprocket, the original Fraggle Rock series. Uh, what was what was working on that show like? Well, Fraggle was the best time of my whole life. It truly was. Um, well, I had been with the Muppets about five years. I had not done any. I mean, I'd done Rizzo, but not in a major way. And suddenly, I got the opportunity to do these two especially Wembley, but really major characters and was sort of, I mean, we had wonderful writers and producers on that show, very collaborative, but I was kind of left to let Wembley become Wembley. It was all on me and just love that character. And I, you know, people have heard me say many times that Fraggle is probably my favorite project that I ever, ever, ever worked on. Um, this, we just passed the 40th anniversary of Fraggle we're hoping in the early part of 2024, and I think it's very possible if you watch, you know, the social media on different Comic Cons, to do a single event that would be a 40th anniversary uh, gathering at a Comic Con, where we'll get as many of the Ooh. original cast there as we can. Um, got people like you, all the fans, hopefully a huge crowd, and we'll do a one-day event where it's basically down at Fraggle Rock, and. My hope is that we're able to do it in Toronto, which is where we shot the show. So I'm, I'm speaking out of turn. I'm speaking prematurely, but I think it's possible and I make it clear it's possible because it might not happen that we might do this in March uh, of 24 at the Toronto Comic-Con. Um, it's wow. a fantastic Comic-Con. Nice. Uh, but we've, we, you know, I'm not involved in the direct planning, but the people who are, I, I'm in touch with them and it's, um, it's being talked about. So if you guys can make it to Toronto in March, I'm just saying we could do a podcast from there, you know? Yeah, right. <laughs> oh, that'd, that'd be really cool. I, 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 think hope. We might, I think we might get Kathy and Karen there and maybe Dave. Oh. Uh, and plus with it being in Toronto, we could have some of the original writers and producers and directors who are still around to show up. 
So really do an in-depth look at Fraggle and behind the scenes of Fraggle. Yeah, that's great. And yeah, and like you said, that's it's awesome. it's crazy that Fraggle Rock has turned 40. 40. Yeah. Well, yeah, it really is. I, I, you know, I wouldn't say I remember it like it was yesterday, but I certainly remember the the day-to-day -day experiences, you know, and um, just such a fun time, you know, just so enjoyable. Yeah. So what was it like working on uh, Dinosaurs? Uh, dinosaurs was a really hard project to work on because um, it was so technical. Um, I think it's one of the best things we've ever done. I think it's really well done. But the technology that we were using was this control system where we were running the faces from these remote rigs. Uh, and then, of course, we had people in the costumes, you know, doing that. I worked with a guy named Leif Tilden, um, just a terrific guy. And we got to the point in this process where we could just play and improvise on set while he's inside of Robbie, um, the teenage son, and I'm running the face. And we were in sync. I mean, it was, it's really an incredible feeling when you work with a performer, a co-performer long enough that they know your rhythms and you know theirs and you can anticipate each other, you know, without a, without a hitch, without a problem. And it looks seamless. And it got to be like that with Leaf and I. Um, but the, the downside was that, you know, the, the technology was all radio controls a lot of the time and it would go down and break. You'd be in the middle of a scene, all of a sudden the eyes would start jittering, you know, on a character. So it would be some funny outtakes if you could, if they could use them. But, um, and, and the costumes were incredibly hot for these guys and they had stuff in some cases tied over their faces and they would get nauseated and we'd have to stop and wait while they recuperated, you know, get dehydrated and, uh, at the end of the day, I think it's a solid show, you know, well-written and it looks great, but it was, it was a hard one. <laughs> yeah. So what was the process kind of like of, because uh, now, you know, you got Kermit. What was the process like of getting Ernie? Well, it was similar. Um, they were, the production was slower to bring Ernie back to the show because, um, I think the question was, does Ernie go on or do they, do they kind of retire Ernie? But the decision was to go on. Cheryl Henson came to California to, she was looking for people to do Ernie's voice originally for talking toys because the so much merchandising. And she mentioned she was there. I don't think I was particularly under consideration for that unless she just wasn't directly asking me. But I did mention it. Uh, at that point, I had already... I think I'd already recorded something as Ernie. And I said, you know, I'd love to have the chance to, to send you a tape of Ernie uh, vocally. And then of course, you know, if the time comes that we continue the character moving forward, then, you know, I'm sure I could step in and, and perhaps puppeteer it as well. So it was a slower process. In the end, I, I ended up doing it. It made sense for the same person to do the voice, you know, that would do the puppeteering. Uh, I think there was concerns about me having being stretched in too many different directions. I wasn't concerned about it, but um, I think on a production level, people were concerned that could I be there for Sesame Street if I was doing other Muppet projects? We never had a single conflict over all the years. There was never anything that I wasn't able to be present on Sesame Street for and still do whatever we had to do with the Muppets. So that it worked out fine uh, as, I, as I felt like it would. Uh, so we never had a conflict. Because uh, on Sesame, mostly I would go up for a week or two per year and we would block shoot everything. Um, so I loved doing Ernie. It came down to a situation where I think they couldn't afford at the time 
to continue to bring me up to New York and all that sort of thing. And I had just cut my fees down to a bare minimum. And, and, you know, I was saying in the holiday Inn by the studio to, to make it super inexpensive is, you know, but we, but it just became impractical for them to continue to do that. Um, I would love to have continued to come back and do it, but you know, they sort of moved on. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah, and um, I have to quickly mention since we're talking about Sesame Street, um, yeah. some of the videos that you're like, you know, part of while you're earning on that point, I'm, you know, I'm a Palooza, right, I mean, right, with Jim, Jimmy Buffett. Oh yeah, Vivian yeah, yeah. Phibium, yeah. Best I had Jimmy. great fun with Jimmy Buffett. You know, we ju we just lost Jimmy, but yeah, a lot of fun with him doing that song. <clears throat> um, just yeah. a nice guys, whole band, nicest guys in the world. Yeah, People like uh, him and Tony Bennett. I did work with Tony Bennett a few times. Yeah. And, just mm -hmm. incredible professionals who are so well known and so good at what they do. And at the same time, loving that they got the opportunity to work with Kermit, you know, and proud moments for me. Um, yeah. Um, the, I remember um, yeah. on one, two, three, Count With Me and the segment you did with Eric, Eric Jacobson and Bernie's Great Adventures. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Oh, they, 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 they were wonderful. You know, I loved when we started doing the claymation stuff. I thought it was, it was a little weird to me because I, I just have this thing where I don't like us presenting different versions of the characters. Like I never liked the walkarounds. I think they're big and clunky. I think there is this character, this person in the world called Ernie who lives on his place called Sesame Street, you know? And I think with the Muppets, because we know them outside of their films and television shows, I feel like they are citizens of the world. We they they exist because they actually really do. If you were in the room with Kermit, you could talk to him. Yeah. Uh -huh. And for that reason, a walk around Kermit is like, well, that's not really Kermit. Yeah, you know, uh, it doesn't work like they've they've kind of let that go with Mickey Mouse and things like that. Yeah. And, and the same was true with the claymation versions of Ernie and Bert. <clears throat> However, I had an idea. What I wanted to do was have Bert come in, the puppets, and Ernie's playing with Play-Doh. And Bert comes in and says, you know, Ernie, what are you doing? He says, oh, well, I, I made this uh, version of you, Bert, uh, something like that. And you and you go into those pieces, you know, as though it's Ernie's imagination. Yeah. Um, would have been a kind of a fun transition, you know, on those. And, and of course, you know, they said, no, oh, we don't want to do that. But, yeah. And on the adventures of Elmo Grouchland, we actually performed yeah. um, Stuck We for the Take a First Step. I love right. that song. That's a that that song. character is a very similar character also to, if you ever saw Kermit's Swamp Years, I did the- yes. um, Oh, yeah. yeah uh -huh. I did the, yes. the rabbit in that. His name was Jack Rabbit, and he's in the pet shop, and he sings a song called Life as a Pet. It's- essentially the same character voice um and um i love that voice i've never done a permanent character with that voice love singing in that voice in both cases it, it was a great opportunity for me to do kind of an, an extra character in projects um and, and I, I truly love both of those pieces a lot yeah so to wrap this up, so the last question that I'm going to ask is a question we ask all of our guests at the end. So this podcast is called Jake's Happy Nostalgia Show. When you think of nostalgia, what do you think of, or in your own words, how would you define nostalgia? Well, I think it's what we, I'm making this up as I go along, by the way, because I've never thought about this. I think it's what we have in our lives that can keep our spirit alive. Uh, as we evolve on it. It's, it's some things that we go through in our lives, things that we experience with the rest of the world. Um, and 
you know, it, it influences who we become in so many ways. Um, nostalgia is our, our memories of childhood, of, of our lives as we move forward. And I think it's, um, I think our nostalgic memories are the, some of the best things we'll ever have. Great words said. Thank you very much. Well, uh, Steve, thank you so much for okay. taking the time to do Sounds this. Good, this is a blast. Yeah, of course. Oh, you're very welcome. I, 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 I appreciate thank you, so. you guys being supportive of the cave stuff, and it's very nice to talk to you. Oh, yeah. Yes, yes of you course. It's great to chat with you again, and yes. can't wait for what you're doing with, you know, with more convention appearances and, and puppetry workshops you've been doing, and, you know, with cave as well, and thank you so much for, you know, yeah. Take a time, you know, for for doing this. You know, for you know, three of us been a fan of your puppetry work for for so many years, and for you, take your time to ch chat with us. It means a lot to three of us. So thank you very much. And oh, can I very what's, welcome, what's guys. Sort of for you? All yeah, right, take care, and I'll, I'll talk to you again soon. Yeah. Yes, keep in hey, touch. Let you know when take this care, goes Steve. up. Bye, Steve. Hey, bye, bye. Take care, bye. Steve. Have a great time at at for, for later later okay. on. Okay. Get Keith and everything. Yeah. Thank you. Bye. Yeah, bye. Of course. Take bye. Bye, Steve. Bye. It's goodbye uh, from us as well, everybody. Yeah, we absolutely yeah. enjoyed our time with Steve Whitmire. Uh, yes. Keep on the lookout for more wonderful interviews coming your way. Um, next year. Yes, yes, next year. This is our yes. last episode. Just want to say this is our last episode of the year. Last episode um, of the year. Yeah, and as Marty has his Santa hat on. Yes, it worked out. Hi. Yes. <laughs> yes, this is our last episode of the year. Um, hi. My my goodness, can I just briefly say it has been a very special year for all of us here at Jake's Happy Nostalgia Show. I mean, all the guests we've had on and yeah. our hundredth episode aired this year. And um, but I, I feel this is just the beginning. You know, we have a big year next year. Twenty twenty four is going to be huge. Can't say too much about it yet, but it is yes. going to be huge. But for for me, Matt Bingle and Marty Monster as well. Hi for Chris Bixby, Jake Diffenbaugh, our manager DJ Bob, our logo designer Kieran Devlin, everybody at Jake's Happy Nostalgia Show. Thank you, thank you for making this an incredible year. Um, we're gonna take a couple weeks off. Uh, we'll be back on January tenth with a new episode, and we'll keep going from so here. Cool. So, from all of us at Jake's Happy Nostalgia Show, a very Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. Yes, and if you don't likewise, celebrate Christmas, we... Happy Holidays. Whatever holiday celebrate, yes, yes. Happy Holidays. Celebrate Christmas. Some, some and, Merry uh, Christmas for all of us. For, for you know, new episodes in yes. early January. And for the final time in 2023, what do we say, Jake? Keep nostalgia alive. Take care, everyone. See you next time. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Merry Happy New Year. See you in 2024. Merry Christmas. Bye. Bye-bye. Thank you for tuning in to another wonderful Jake's Happy Nostalgia Show interview. Be sure to follow Jake and the crew on social media and stream the show wherever you find your favorite podcasts. And as always, remember to keep nostalgia alive. Bye-bye. <laughs>